Hi everyone, uh, I'm Adam Gear. Thanks for joining me on Creative Connections. My guests today are two Sydney-based creative artists, Alex and Lewis. Uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you very much for having us, man. Excited to be on. Yeah, thanks for joining me. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So now, first off, I want you to tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. Lewis, go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was one time when I was six. No, <laughs> I, I've never tried that before. So I hate it if I did do that and someone went dead serious and told me something really, really disturbing. I was going to say, babe, we're actors. That's dangerous territory. Yeah, yeah. You could just you could just make something up. Uh, so uh, yeah, so you're both performers. You know, producers, directors, writers. Uh, could you just each tell me a little bit about where you're from? and uh yeah how you got into the industry sure. alex do you yeah. want to go first sure um cool so i'm from sydney i was born about like what 20 minutes away from where i'm sitting right now <laughs> um, and started i feel like my kind of interest in performing arts started when i was like six or something because i was really pigeon-toed and my parents tried to send me to all these different things, different activities to try and write it because I was still growing. The doctor was like, there's no point putting her through like intensive physio. You just go to like tennis or ice skating or ballet. And that's kind of where it started. I started with dance and, you know, went to drama classes and in about year four at school, I started singing lessons and it just kind of got momentum from there. I was singing heaps. I loved musical theatre. I, mum and dad, thankfully, were able to take me to heaps of stuff growing up. And I still remember watching something at like the Capitol Theatre somewhere when I was maybe seven or eight and washing my hands. Like I'd gone to the bathroom, washing my hands and looking myself in the mirror going, I want to do that when I grow up. Oh, <laughs> I cool. just... I loved musicals and um, yeah, so when at the end of end of my schooling, I got to go to McDonald College, which was really exciting and a real privilege because I think at school, you often get taught that it's the best singer or the best actor or the whatever who gets cast in, in the shows and at a mainstream school it is because, you know, you're lucky to have three singers in the year so they get the three lead roles or whatever. Um, but at McDonald College, that's where I was taught about casting and about how if you don't get something, it doesn't mean you're not doing well and mm. all of that kind of stuff. So that was that was really good. Um, and then I went on to do my Bachelor of Theatre Studies at UNE in Armadale. Um, and initially that was kind of a stopgap measure. That was my get life experience fast yeah. theory so I could go to like NIDA or WAPA or somewhere like that. Um and I got talked into staying by an amazing teacher up there and just learnt everything. They taught us acting, directing, history. I read a play every week for three years. Um, I did music classes. I did the local musical society. I got amongst every aspect of theatre and that was, that was, I think, probably as important or as valuable as potentially three years just acting um, because it 
taught me kind of how much more there is to the industry. Mm. So, yeah, then went on, do kind of whatever I can do acting-wise and found that I quite liked producing. Like a bunch of my friends and I had made a musical a couple of years ago um, and I was one of the more organised of the three of us. So I was the one <laughs> who kind of took on the, well, not the most, but pretty close. And, um, yeah, took on a lot of that liaison with the with – the, um, festival that we were at and things like that and so while the others kind of focused on directing or or something like that I did that and found that I really liked it so I've gone on to start doing what acting I can when I come across a project that I really like and obviously the dream is still to get onto stage in a big musical somewhere but yeah in the meantime like finding these passion projects and making them happen is I find really rewarding so I do that as well. Yeah, amazing. So you feel like, yeah, I mean, I guess your journey's kind of changed a bit in what you your interests are and your focus focuses. Yeah, bit. yeah, for sure. And I guess, I mean, that's some something else. I feel like growing up as a as an artist, you get told, or some people get told. I had a teacher that at Madrone College who said to me, "Always do everything, every job in the theatre." And it was for two reasons. One, so that you would appreciate the people who do that job more um, because she'd been in many things where people like didn't pay tech people properly or anything like that. Um, But also too, because then it gives you that experience of what else you might like to do. Like, because we all agree that even if acting or performing is the top priority, it's still better to be working in the industry as a stagehand if that's what you enjoy than it is to be waiting tables somewhere. So Mm. it was about kind of getting that experience and seeing what other avenues I could find into working into the arts industry. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good point. Uh, And Lewis, what about you? What, how are you, where you're at now? Yeah. So uh, for me, it started at a really early age and I can't exactly remember any specific point, but I remember being very young and very, very interested in movies. I think it was just movies that got me into it straight away. Uh, my earliest memory was probably seeing Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins or the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I just thought, man, this guy can do anything. And seeing people's reactions to such an amazing performer like that was something that I remember really early because, I mean, so quotable and so uh, memorable with whatever he did. And like I said, I can't really uh, remember any specific moment, but I remember being really, really obsessed from an early age and that was just acting. So for me, I'd watch all these really great old movies and I'd see Dick Van Dyke or I'd watch like, Calamity Jane and see Howard Keel and Doris Day. And I really liked the old school movies. I thought they were really charming from, mm-hmm. from Gecko. And after that, I think my parents know, knew that I loved the attention from a really early age as well. So there was, you know, there was lots of uh, weekly TV shows that I was the host of and would make my whole family sit through in the living room and in the lounge room and I would come up with these characters that I wanted to try because I'd also grown up with Mike Myers in like Austin Powers where he would play like four different roles and then I'd start reading about him also producing and directing and writing them as well and I just thought this is 
just amazing. How can one person do this stuff? It's so interesting. Um, but I, I always wanted to be acting, so that was just mainly acting. And then my parents put me into theatre from a really early age, and I loved doing that. That was just so much fun. We got to do so many different shows, and every show that came about, I was so, I don't know, I feel like I was really serious for a young kid. And um, all throughout high school, I, I did drama as well, and... Uh, like Alex was saying, I had a teacher that encouraged me to do not just acting, but a whole bunch of different things as well. So there were some high school shows that I wanted to write for. It's because I had an interest in writing, again, probably based on Mike Myers writing Austin Powers and doing a lot of different roles. But I sort of started getting into it then and writing little sketches that we would do for projects in high school. And I was always interested in the behind the scenes things as well. So... For me, it was great because I loved being on stage, but I also loved being behind the scenes as well. And I was really, really fortunate uh, to have a parent that would encourage me all the time, plus my drama school teacher and people who really seemed to enjoy it. And I think that kind of egged me on even more. So I did that all throughout high school. And I guess in terms of real serious creative journey, I moved from Perth to Sydney when I was 18 and got into an acting school called Sydney Theatre School. And that was all performance-based training. So that was actually based on uh, productions rather than theory, so to speak. But the best part about that was we got to work with three different directors who had three very different styles and different areas of expertise. So in terms of training, that was so amazing for me because we did improvisation we did uh contemporary plays and we also did shakespeare as well so we got to see three different styles and experience three different styles um and after that uh like most acting students as soon as they finish acting school you just want to get out there in the world and get as many uh you know jobs as possible and you'll mm. sacrifice anything wanting to work you know it was it was definitely that feeling for me because it was like okay great we're being in school now but now i want to learn as i do it and probably the best advice for me was learn as you go so you can build a cv as well as do projects at the same time and i mean you know what actor doesn't want to be working all the time and mm. learning all the way and building up a cv so you have more credibility so and how did that feel like the reality of leaving acting school and actually trying to work as an actor was it a <laughs> bit of a shock to your system oh. it's not as you're like i'm gonna do this and get an oscar and this is gonna happen and then it's like <laughs> yeah. ah crap <laughs> oh yeah that was a, that was a great reality check i think um as soon as as soon as i left theater school i was very keen to do more acting work but i think my bank account gave me a great reality check straight away <laughs> <laughs> as tends to happen a lot in our industry. So, uh, yeah, for me, it was, I, I had all the motivation and I was fortunate enough to get cast in a show like straight out of acting school. But at the same time, the uh, the reality side set, set, settled in of, hey, you need money to do this as well. And I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that was a great reality check for me, a great learning experience because I was only 19 and... Uh, moving over from Perth to Sydney was great as well because I was growing up as well as hitting my toe in the industry. So, yeah, harsh reality check, but one I'm very thankful for. 
Yeah, and so uh, this is for both of you, Alex and Lewis. Is there an audition story that stands out to you that gives you nightmares? You wake up in a cold sweat <laughs> thinking about. I've had a few. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think I honestly have to say my the one that I still like hurts a little bit is the first the first live audition I did for something called the Rob Guest Endowment, which this year has had its own set of controversy around it, mm. which I'll kind of leave on its own. But I, <laughs> yeah. when it first came out, the, I think the first year they did it was video submission only. And then the next year they did auditions in Sydney and Melbourne plus video submission. So if you weren't in. And so I, I went to like the, it was at the Star, the Star City Casino. So like actually going in and going through into one of the rehearsal rooms. And I mean, I did this audition a few years and sometimes they walk you down and you end up like, holy crap, I'm standing on the stage of like one of my favorite theaters. Um, with knowing that the people on this panel are going to be some of the people who cast and music direct and, and choreograph some of the big musicals that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and I picked this song that I thought was amazing and I'd worked on it really hard and I got into the room and I was so nervous and they stopped me like quite quickly after starting and I just started crying in the room. And I, like, for me, you just like, I always was like, you just try and wait until you go out and you like accept graciously whatever they have to say and you go out and then you cry. But I just like, I don't know what it was. I'd built it up so much and I'd wanted to do such a good job that I just started crying in the room. And actually they were very, they were really, really nice. Like the, I'm going to get his name wrong, so I'm not going to say it, but the guy who was the, the choreographer. Oh, his name and his address. <laughs> <laughs> his dog's name. Um, he, he actually, they actually was like, okay, like, they were really, they were really nice to me because they said, you know, why are you crying? And I, I just said that I was like so disappointed in what I'd done. And he actually said to me, he's like, go, go outside, calm down and come back in and do it for us again. And I was like, what? Because they'd been upstairs. They'd been all about like how late they were running and how we needed to like get in and get, get through and they'd probably stop you and whatever. It took me a while, but I did finally calm down and get back in there and did the end of it. And I was like, it was still a terrible audition. Like I wasn't surprised that I, I, I got a thanks, but no thanks at the end of that. But like, it wasn't entirely bad. I just remember being mortified that I literally broke down crying in front of all these people. That's that's so amazing though. They gave you that time to to go again because yeah, usually I, I know that feeling when you, you're doing something and they stop you early on, it's just the worst feeling. And yeah. then, but then to give you another go was, was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Cause that was probably one of the biggest auditions I'd done in my like post uni career. And cause as well, like part of me was like, regardless of if I get this award or not, these are the people who are like the decision makers for the musicals. So I wanted to impress them whether I, got further in this that thing or not and I think I just like way over pressured myself but yeah I really appreciated that they gave me that extra time and I think they like saw me just before lunch break so they were actually meant to be on lunch when they yeah. brought me <laughs> they back could in have so that was really understandably nice. been very hangry but they, they weren't <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, all. that's really sweet of them. I I, I remember uh, probably the first one that springs to mind was again straight out of acting school and auditioning for pretty much anything and everything that was gone by. And I remember there was an audition for a theatre show that I really wanted and the concept of it sounded amazing, what they were going to do with this piece. So I'd, I'd been rehearsing all week and... I picked out a monologue from one of my favourite plays called Blackrock and they were basically just saying, look, pick out this monologue, get ready to present it as, you know, your standard audition things and get ready for us to throw a few different pieces of direction at you for the actual audition. And I was so ready. I was so, like, over-prepared. I had one of those sleepless nights, like, the day before the audition, you know, got up, was really just you know, nerves were raging, but in a good way, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be great. So ready. And then we get to the audition and there's probably about 50 other people in the room, which was again, in its own self, a bit of a surprise, but you know, anyway. Um, And before they got into the auditions for everyone, they said, look, we've asked you to prepare this monologue for the audition, which we're all pretty keen on. And they go, something you guys don't know is that the show uses live instruments and we're going to have live musicians uh, throughout the thing. And I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And they go, look, so at any point during your monologue, we may stop you with music. And when you hear the music, you need to act out the rest of your monologue in an interpretive dance. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh-huh. And for someone who went to their feet as much as I do, uh, you can imagine the sinking feeling that happened in my stomach. And I'm just going, what? Um, <laughs> if this was a cartoon, the record scratch would happen and I would just be like, oh, sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. And so I was doing this really serious monologue from Blackrock. And I think about halfway through, like a weird loop sound sort of started playing and I had to act out the rest of the monologue in my interpretation of an interpretive dance. And can you show us it went about as well as moves? Can you show us any of the moves that uh, <laughs> you any of them remember? Oh, uh, uh, look, so I think I, uh, yeah, I think I blocked them all out. I think what you did was better than I ever came up with from the audition. Because <laughs> some of that I for think me, selective- that's just a reflection of, in some sense, that's a bit of an inexperienced um, production team. Like, I don't know if I would do that to a bunch of, a big group of people that's coming to audition without letting them know first. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, look, at the same time, though, I mean, it was one of those things where, like, I'm my own worst critic, so I kind of, my, my instant thought was like, oh, I should have been more prepared for that. But, you know, it was it was definitely a horror audition story, not not blaming anyone at the time. I was obviously, you know, at a different stage of my career, but, whew, that was a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like those night auditions when you're auditioning with everybody together, and um, but at least you kind of expect that. Well, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I'm, I, let's just say I'm ready for interpretive dance now. <laughs> Good. I expect to see an interpretive dance show from you very soon. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and so you two, you've obviously known each other for a little while. How did you meet? Um, yeah, we met at 
the beginning of what was it 2018 so just over almost three years ago now um yeah. we were both cast in a production called the devil's crest which was with factory space theater company um performing up at manly and it was it was quite funny actually louis and i didn't have a lot of interaction during rehearsal because it was so it's based on a book written by an Australian woman who was writing in the 50s called June Wright and it was the story of one of her novels is called The Devil's Caress and so it was the story of that plus aspects of June's life kind of woven in and I played June meaning that I only really like only one of the actors in or one of the other only one of the other characters in the play actually interacted with me so i basically had or two so i basically had rehearsals with like two of the other women until we got to the theater and then i started rehearsing with everyone else but um yeah we met doing that yeah that was it was quite funny like thinking about it now i was like yeah actually i didn't really meet you until we got to the theater but um <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I felt like we saw each other at like the first group rehearsal because we would have group rehearsals usually on Sundays. Mm-hmm. But like Alex said, we didn't really have a lot to do with each other just because of the nature of our different roles. Um, Alex being the narrator and me being one of the characters in the story. So, yeah, not a whole lot of interaction till I guess production sort of ramped up when we moved into the theatre. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I feel like generally speaking, there are a couple of exceptions, but generally speaking, the cast got along really well. And so after that, I mean, pretty close, we saw like most of the extra cast and now, you know, some of them have moved away and and things like that. Mm. But yeah, Louis and I and a few others have kind of stuck around and stayed <laughs> friends. So yeah. when, yeah. yeah. No, very fortunate. I was going to say, it's, um, it was an amazing show. Like, we had a blast mm-hmm. doing it. And it was just one of those experiences that you hang on to for so long for good reason because you just love being involved. But, yeah, like Alex said, you know, it was such a great group of people. And, yeah, very fortunate to be, you know, obviously working with each other and hanging out as friends. It's been awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so you've, yeah, joined together to... You know, create and produce a radio play series called Grimlock set in a small town where no one is as they seem. I feel like it should be introduced in a really cool movie <laughs> this summer. <laughs> I don't know. Can you go into detail about, uh, yeah, how that came to be produced and, and, and everything? Yeah, sure. Uh, So at the start of lockdown, I think uh, the both of us, like a lot of other artists and creatives in the industry, were kind of a bit shell-shocked by everything stopping. And Mm. we were, Alex and I were rehearsing another play at the time with the same theatre company, uh, the Factory Space Theatre Company. And as we're about two weeks out from that show, COVID and the lockdown, it pretty much got cancelled. So we had a group, I think we had a group Zoom call and we were talking about options of keeping the production going and it was suggested about a radio play. And, I mean, I love radio plays. I think they're such a great old-fashioned form of entertainment and especially with the world the way it is now with people a lot more audio, you know, with podcasts and obviously this and uh, a lot of other different things, having more time to listen to things. 
it was suggested about a radio play and then a group of us were talking about a radio play and I think I literally just said to Alex, do you mind if I write one? And mm. it was one of those things where Alex was like, great, yeah, absolutely, and really encouraging and really supportive as she always is. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, during lockdown it was a great thing to focus on because I, I think like a lot of people I was going a bit snow crazy after a couple of weeks and having this as a creative outlet was so therapeutic and <laughs> You know, obviously still working, fortunately enough to be in a job, but having that creative outlet to come home to and just having so many different ideas floating around my head was very much like that. And yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of was just born from that, born from lockdown. And I would obviously mention I different ideas to Alex and a few other people that were involved in helping develop it, but that's how it got started, really. Yeah, it. Um, I guess writing it, started as a practical thing because we were thinking like there are all these great things out there that could easily be a radio play or people we could contact or whatever but then from a bunch of actors who had an idea then going on to being like oh uh how do we pay for the rights to that or you know any of that kind of stuff so we're like well if we write one it's ours we can Mm. we can go from there and um yeah then this after a couple of workshops this fabulous script came about and we're like oh maybe there's more than an episode out of it so it's kind of where we're at now being like let's let's do it let's make it a thing yeah totally yeah and so what is what costs are involved like how does that work producing a radio play and and getting it recorded and everything yeah it's a lot more than we thought it was going to be let's be honest (laughs) but I think that's the same with all kind of artistic ventures in a way so once we've got it done, we kind of started by looking for the cheapest option. And then if we recorded it ourselves, finding someone to do the sound on it separately then became a whole other drama. And we ended up being lucky enough to find um, Sydney Sound Brewery, which is John Resk, now that I can say it properly. Um, And he... You know, we were chatting to him about, you know, if we did a series and, and things like that. So he kind of gave us a an approximate price and jumped on that because it was so much better than, you know, endless. It'll be this much a day and we're not sure how long it'll take as opposed to he has his studio, he had the space, he had all the equipment, he has all of the software, everything. So it was great to find somewhere and all of the experience, like seriously, check out what they do there's like heaps of stuff um that it just felt so much easier because that's the part that we really don't have any experience in like we're actors we can do us we can do a play we can write we can produce but the actual editing and things like that was so that was a big cost and then you know as performers going oh we we want to be able to pay the other actors right well, other than the fact there isn't actually an equity standard for this kind of work at this point, looking at like rehearsing a a play rather than a musical, uh, rather than a radio drama, somewhere between the kind of film and theatre ranges, that's a lot of money too. Mm. <laughs> I calculated yeah. for a grant that just rehearsals, if we paid everyone equity rage- wages, just rehearsals would have cost us over $3,000 in actor fees, which 
I'm so I'm so grateful for the amazing people we've got on board for episode one. And you know, episode one was always going to be a proof of concept in hoping that we could fund fund future episodes. But like now, being really conscious of how like the the actual financial value of what they've donated is mm. quite big. Um, um, no, that's exactly it. And it was it was such a great learning experience, I think, for both of us where, you know, like you say, the costs involved in something like this because it's a 45-minute episode. And, I mean, on the surface level, you hear it and it's obviously not that long, but it's behind the scenes is there's so much more that goes into it. And that was a really great learning experience about the costs involved because, again, they're basically self-funding this unless – like Alex said, we get a grant. So that was just such a, an amazing learning curve, I think, for both of us. Yeah. So how many episodes are you going to do? Ideally 10. Um, yeah. It's going to come up again, come down to where we get funding from. I've started saying when we get the grant because we've applied for a, one that would basically allow us to do the whole series, which would be amazing. Um, we could then basically do one a month and kind of churn it all out next year um in the case that we're fundraising we've realized that kind of the minimum we could do an episode for would be a little over three and a half grand um, and that would include giving the writer director and actors a small amount unfortunately not full fee at this point um but yeah if we could get if we if we could do a whole 10 that would be really good and we're yeah. planning it as an anthology series so it's not necessarily okay. yeah, and would the be first episode be coming out next year yes yeah absolutely so we've got the first episode definitely coming out next year we're still waiting to hear back from the grant that alex mentioned before but the first episode is definitely dropping next year at a minimum yeah yeah brilliant well uh i think that's a pretty good spot to end on Everyone look out for Grimlock. I'll put some links up there where they can support you and follow the progress of the series. Uh, yeah, to both of you, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. No, thank thank you, you very much for having us, Adam. It's uh, really appreciated, man. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Creative, creative connections.